Republicans rush to embrace pre-existing conditions so Donald Trump can be covered for paranoia, narcissism, and verbal diarrhea. <laughs> President Trump pulls out his Sharpie, doctors a Defense Department map, and claims that Iranian missiles could have hit Alabama. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth agrees to a period of transition for Prince Harry and Meghan Markle in exchange for a hot young actress playing Her Majesty on season four of The Crown. Well, <laughs> welcome to the Wolf Pack. It is, is, is bone spurs a pre-existing condition? Well, we're going to find out, oh, okay. actually. Uh, we're we're coming to you from the Lane Gallery and Steel Door Galleries in Northwest Portland. And uh, as we go on the air, the Democratic candidates in Iowa uh, just started their debate at Drake University tonight. We're down to six who qualified tonight. We'll be talking about Iowa a little later in the show. In fact, it's the I show. We're going to talk about Iran impeachment and Iowa. How about that for a theme? It sounds familiar. Yeah. If Trump hears us the I show... He'll even tune in thinking it's about... Just wanted to, to people well, know it's going to be our take on the I theme. Right. I've heard I themes on every television show in in, in the country. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we have a lot to say about those. How are you guys? Good? Excellent. Great. I'm great. How's 2020 tweet, tweeting you so far? That's what they say tweeting. to Trump. How's 2020 tweeting you so far? Uh, so far, it's pretty good. I thought my dogs might have been really sick, but they had blood tests, and they're both terrific, and it made me very happy. Aww. That's a that's a good start to the year. Yeah, absolutely. Good canine blood And tests. my two younger grandchildren were at my home for this past weekend, and that was a delight. Nice. Dylan, well, how about your grandchildren? Are they in town? <laughs> Dylan, the youngest member of this I was recently cast. mistaken for a grandfather, surprisingly. No, come on. I you were not. I said I was going to a second grade uh, play, and the gentleman asked me if it was for my grandson or grandfather. <laughs> Holy Moses. Did you know? uh, You're like 35. Come on. Or, yeah, that's what uh, I, what? I don't know what it was. Oh, my God. What do you say? I said it was for my own child, and he apologized, and... We moved on. Oh, well, and we survived the snowpocalypse today. We got about a quarter inch of uh, of snow in northeast Portland. So. Well, we want to feel a little about like Iowa because the caucuses are coming up on February 3rd. So we'll, we'll, we'll do what we can. I want to say one thing before we get into the I subjects. Um, we all know that President Trump lies uh, all the time. No. But he was very egregious. Uh, he was even egregious for him this week. Yeah. He went to Ohio and sent out a tweet and claimed that he – President Trump saved health care protections for patients with pre-existing conditions. This is a guy who has tried to dismantle Obamacare. In fact, uh, I think there are 52 Republican senators on the record now supporting this federal case to uh, repeal Obamacare. Mm -hmm. But now he's casting himself as uh, the defender of health care and Democrats as do nothing on it. I mean, that is... Do you mean is... he's channeling John McCain? <laughs> <laughs> let, well, let me tell you something. He is specifically in court trying to terminate pre-existing conditions. Right. And that's okay because he's curing cancer, as we learned this week as well. That's correct. But only windmill right. cancer. Come on. <laughs> he's got to branch out. That was a good one. So don't be fooled by that particular uh, putting logic on its head by this president. Please. I mean, I mean, it, it really is... I'll just say one other thing about that. It really is amazing to me that we're at the point now where he can go out at a rally, claim that, send out a tweet, and people are going, eh, that's, mm -hmm. that's Trump. I mean, this is who we have as president of the United States, and we should never, ever seek to normalize this behavior in a chief's executive. Well, he'll be okay with everybody as long as he doesn't wear a tan suit. That, yeah, yeah that, all that's, hell will break he, loose. You can't cross that line. We're a tan suit man. Or salute while holding a cup of coffee. His yes. wife better not have bare arms. <laughs> or arm bears. Okay. <laughs> all right, I will so refrain. Let's get into the uh, three I questions. Paul, what do we have first on Iran? Our very first question is on E-I-Ran, Iran, formerly Persia. Uh, Trump can't get his story straight on the Soleimani Soleimani, Soleimani, which is it? On I mean, the Soleimani assassination and his Iran policy <laughs> now faces significant Republican opposition in Congress. Has Trump's gambit to look tough backfired? Uh, should we just vote on whether it's Soleimani or Soleimani? I vote Soleimani. I think it's Soleimani, but I kind of like Soleimani because it's like Soleimania. Kind of like yeah. <laughs> I learned French in school, so whenever I have a, a opportunity to do a soft A rather than a hard A, I choose that. I think it's Soleimani, but I'm really pissed because it was my favorite pasta and Trump assassinated it. <laughs> All right. So the question is, uh, is this backfired on him? Jump in. 
Well, jump. Yes is the short and long answer. It has backfired on him. He has he has lied about it. He has told a, a, a story uh, that's changed every day, and every day he told changed it to a new story that lie, was another lie, and he's turning Republicans against him. Uh, they don't care what he does to health care, but man, don't mess with bombing. Uh, and lying about why you do it. Um, uh, and he sent his aides, uh, are of course, in that usual position. Uh, Pompeo and, and Mark Esper, the Secretary of Defense, of going out there with conflicting stories because they can't even get it right because mm-hmm. he can't even get it right. And when they ask Esper, did you, did, were you shown any evidence of imminent attacks on embassies I, on television? They asked him that and he said no. I mean, geez, is he going to keep his job? And we also found out that um, this, there were State Department officials involved in U.S. embassy security were not made aware of any threats whatsoever. And he's in Ohio saying, oh, they targeted four embassies. He went on Fox and said there were four embassies. Yet, can you hear Benghazi? Nobody in, in charge of security of the embassy heard anything like that. And that's what John Levitt pointed out this week is that – uh, one of two things is happening. Option number one is that Trump is lying, which, of course, oh, we know is what is happening. No, that can't be. Or option two is that we had all these imminent threats. Embassies were under attack. Uh, and nobody notified any of these people that there was a threat out there. And I think that's either protocol or law that they must be notified when their embassies are being threatened. Right. And I think we should always remember that this goes back to him backing out of the Iran deal. That destabilized a lot of things and led to this led to this issue. I hate to take him off the hook, but it all goes back to Bush dumping Saddam Hussein. But you're right. It does go back to him dumping out of the Iran deal. And the initial question was, did it backfire? And I guess that depends on what the goal was. But it's the same answer no matter how you look at it. If the goal was to help or was to get Iran to slink away in fear, it didn't work. If the goal was to help establish a new foundation for a new Iran deal, it didn't work. If the goal was to get our armies out of the Middle East, it didn't work. If the goal was to distract away from impeachment, it didn't work. Um, and so there's a uh, – no matter how we want to slice this thing, it's not working out for Trump or our country. And a large majority of the American people by polling say they don't like it. They don't like it. Right. And, uh, you know, this, again, I think uh, is embedded in the question. It was a case of Trump trying to look tough, trying to do something that Bush and Obama didn't do by taking out this bad guy. He obviously uh, bit off more than he could choose. We said last week it was reckless. Then when there was imminent hostilities, he pulled away like a, the, 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 the nervous Nelly bone spur. Uh, Slinking but but thank God he did that. I'm going to just say right. I'm uh, glad that he did, right? Because uh, more escalation would be preferred. Right. But I think David Jolly said on, on the former Republican congressman from Florida who's a never Trumper, I believe it was him on MSNBC this week, who said this is typical Trump because what he will claim to his base is, hey, I took out a good guy, a bad guy in Soleimani, Soleimani, and I got away with it. Look how tough I am. Mm-hmm. But destabilization, all the things that Dylan just mentioned, he has made a situation far worse. And of course, our allies don't know where he's coming from. This stinks on so many levels, but he'll package it to his people as, look, I took out a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Well, look, um, there's going to be more instability in Iraq continuing. And if the U.S. ends up pulling out troops, which, you know, it looks like we we probably will have to at some point, um, the terrorist terrorism effort will be Severely under. He's sending more troops. He's sending Mm -hmm. them to Saudi Arabia. And by the way, just let me say, you know, Trump tweeted support for these anti-government protests in Iran in both English and Farsi. You know, I've stood with you since the beginning, urging them to continue protesting in, you know, hopes that they will overthrow the government. I think someone, uh, was it Ivanka sent out a thing, was like the most read tweet in Iran's history. Well, Iran doesn't have Twitter. So uh, (laughs) that's one thing. But most of their Internet is blocked. But. Here's the same president who went to Saudi Arabia in his first year in office and said, we have no desire to involve ourselves in your affairs, even, I guess, if it involves killing uh, an American journalist or committing uh, genocide and war crimes in Yemen. But that was, has, was that before the sword dance and the ball? That and was, all that, uh, that was the same thing. <laughs> so he obviously wants to intervene in one country, but not in the other. And you can make a case that Saudi Arabia is causing as much Mischief, maybe not as much, but a, a lot of mischief in the Middle East as well as Iran. Let's talk about a little more about the backfire. Uh, what's our goal? Is our goal to change the regime in Iran? Are, uh, are, is our goal to establish uh, a democratic republic of some sort in Iraq? The Iraqis were 
were rioting in the streets to get Iran out of the country. The Iranians were rioting in the streets for the Ayatollahs to get out of the country, out of Iraq, and to give them more democracy in their country. I will say, uh, as wanna... Trump killed Soleimani Soleimani, all of those <laughs> riots ended, and all of the Iraqis that were rioting against Iran started rioting against America. It, it's not true, though, that the riot, that not riots, but the ro- the protests have increased in Iran against the government because of the shoot down that, of the correct. civilian airline. Correct. Because so, they, so he 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 gained by killing 176 people. Yeah, and now we're on the outs with Canada because they lost 57 people in that plane crash, and uh, he's being held responsible for that too. You know, a good thing that's come from this, um, as we went on the air tonight, uh, New York Times reported from their sources that there are enough votes in the Senate, both Democratic and Republicans, to approve um, what was passed in the House limiting. The president's war authorities with regard to Iran. Now he'll he'll veto it. It's yes. symbolic, but the fact that enough Republicans and we saw that both Mike Lee and Rand Paul were horrified by the so-called briefing they got. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, they they have a little bit of a, a Republican um, revolt on this, which is nice to see. Uh, you don't see it very often with Trump, but. Republicans going on the record it gives you a clue who have been in lockstep with him on almost everything. If enough Republicans are upset by this, he's got to know this is a very bad thing. I want to comment real quickly on the Rand Paul, Mike Lee, where they came out and said this is the worst briefing they've ever received in their nine years in the, in the U.S. Senate. Um, Trump's response to that was that uh, Mike Lee was mistaken because he had called and spoken to several U.S. senators and they had all said it was, in fact, the best briefing <laughs> they had. I mean, this, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah. And he is so beyond the pale. We are so normalized that nobody even asked him, well, who? Who did you talk to? Because everybody right. just, right. we know he's lying. We're just going to move on. And he said that in the briefing, he told everybody in the in the briefing, his, his, his generals told everyone in the briefing that they did this because our embassies were going to be attacked. Mm-hmm. Every single senator was at the briefing said that never happened. Right. Nobody told mm-hmm. us anything about embassies being in danger. You know, he was pressed on this and he said, well, it doesn't matter if there was, wasn't an, was an imminent threat or not because he was just a bad guy. Mm-hmm. So he's absolutely admitting that there really was no imminent threat here. Well, the bombing of our two bases is not going to be the end of this. No, there will be not. Iran has a tendency to wait and take other actions. So it might be a cyber attack or um, some other targeting of our of our soldiers or our. I think the best thing people. that's come out of this um, is that Americans got a taste of how easily Trump could put their lives in danger and the lives of our servicemen and women in danger with his impulsivity. I think it's very clear by the polling that people are unsettled by this. Will it stop him from doing it in the future? I doubt it. I mean, Robert Mueller uh, warned us in his report uh, that Trump will continue to uh, undermine U.S. elections for his own benefit, and that has proved true. Uh, as we maybe get into the second question here, if anyone has to, uh, well, yeah, the very next contribute. day. Well, I, I just also want to yeah. point out that Trump says he didn't tell uh, the, uh, the Gang of Eight, the leaders of Congress, that he was going to do this because he didn't want it to leak. <laughs> Uh, the, the, but the people at Mar-a-Lago knew. That's right. Uh, no one uh, from the Gang of Eight in in history that I know of or have read about has ever leaked any war information or defense information. But what he did do is he told Lindsey Graham he was going to do this. And I'm not sure who in Israel, probably Netanyahu, maybe someone else, but he told the Israelis he was going to do this. So Trump trusts the Israelis more than he trusts the leaders of our Senate Trust and House of Representatives. More than, more than, you know, talk about our allies, but talk about our adversaries uh, as well. The, the, uh, the House is right now holding hearings on, on, uh, on, uh, on War the, Powers Act. On the War Powers right. Act. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Pompeo refused to come. He wouldn't come to talk about what happened in. Uh, you know, in, this is the same MO on every issue with Trump and his administration. Uh, it's the same on uh, refusing to give t- uh, Congress documents it needs to investigate the president. On this issue, um, there was uh, American lives are at risk. Uh, yeah. And, you know, they keep saying, and I, I think it's probably true, the, the decision to go to war is uh, the, the toughest decision that a member of Congress or a president can make. 
but he do, he doesn't care about what's tough, what's easy. Uh, it's all about him. And if American people think about this, their sons and daughters were were put in harm's way in that base, in those two bases. And we could have a, a conflagration that takes the lives of many Americans because Trump wants to look tough. He wants to gain poll points. He wants to do things only for political gain and to get elected, which to him is the currency of love. And then also to have a nice parade down now. I don't know how important citizenship is, but our, our brothers and sisters across the northern border in Canada, 67 of them were killed because, 57, I'm sorry, because, thank you very much, Kim, because of what Trump did. I mean, you know, do they have to be Americans that died? I lived in Canada for seven years. Those are partly my people, you know, and this is Trump did them in by his breaking the law. Should we expect anything else from a person who literally celebrates American war criminals? No. He, he let he pardoned them for what they did. Um, in one case, he prevented one from going to trial. Not only did he do that against the wishes of the military and the American people and the good sense of military order of justice, but then he took the people with him to Mar-a-Lago and, and held them up as exhibits mm-hmm. saying that we're trained to kill. He basically said American soldiers can kill civilians at will. And for sport. Do you think yeah. the Iranians are going to hit Mar-a-Lago? Well, you know, as Kim said, I think Kim's right. Um, Iran will not stop doing what Iran does. And uh, and don't forget ISIS, too. I mean, yeah. he claimed ISIS was kaput quite a while ago in his administration. If, if anything, ISIS is reinvigorated Can by Can we say that Trump policy. founded ISIS? Yeah, well, I said last <laughs> week, you know, he, he founded the, the – he reinvigorated them. Uh, <laughs> okay. Let's move on let's to move the second on. line. Let's move on. Politico reported, and now some other people are reporting, that Iowa Senator Joni Ernst told Mitch McConnell to start working with Democrats on rules for an impeachment trial. Will will endangered Senate Republicans convince McConnell to make concessions on procedures or witnesses? Well, I, I think it's important to take stock here that there's been 15 impeachment trials in the Senate in the, our nation's history, 13 for judges, two for presidents. We've never not called witnesses before. So um, for Trump and McConnell to suggest that we wouldn't have witnesses, it's just another uh, throwing away of small d democratic norms of our country and damaging our institutions for short-term political gains. So there's that. As far as whether or not we're going to be getting witnesses, it looks like Yes. Presumably, we're going to have 47 Democrats who will support it, which I say presumably because there always is Doug Jones and uh, Joe Manchin, which you have to worry about. Um, but it looks like we've got at least four senators who are yeses here. Um, let's see. we got – help me out here. Lisa Murkowski, Lamar Alexander, Susan Collins, and Mitt Romney. And uh, then, I just want to amend that. Uh, CBS News reported that at least four Republicans will defect and vote with Democrats to call for witnesses. They listed them as Susan Collins, Cory Gardner, Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, and maybe Lamar Alexander. They could be a fifth. Okay. And uh, I've also heard maybe Rand Paul, maybe Joni Ernst, Joni Ernst. maybe Roy Blunt. Right. Uh, and I would think there would be some pressure on Martha McSally and uh, – yes. Some uh, other Tom Tillis, some other vulnerable. Uh, what 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 actually bothers me almost more than than Donald Trump uh, breaking the law is the Senate of the United States refusing to hold him accountable for doing that. Dylan, did you want to continue with some? Well, I was also there? going to say that, that I interrupted you. Yeah, there's a uh, procedural stuff. Uh, in addition to getting witnesses, it also looks like this is all. This also means we're going to avoid the motion to dismiss Senator Joshua Hawley who defeated Claire McCaskill, elections have consequences, has been pushing for basically a motion to dismiss, which means as soon as the articles arrive, there's an immediate vote to dismiss them. And uh, they would, you know, think 50, 51 votes, then actually 50 votes, then we're done. Can I uh, put an exclamation point on that? Roy Blunt, who is the senior senator from Missouri, Josh Howley is the junior, uh, told reporters yesterday that, quote, our members generally are not interested in a motion to dismiss. Right. So that's not going to happen. Lamar Alexander said... And I saw him say it on television. I will vote no on a motion to dismiss. I will vote yes on a motion to bring in witnesses. Perfect. Um, So, uh, you know, I want to go back to – well, I want to go back. I want to just state that I've been seeing headlines that that, um, Mitch McConnell outfoxed 
Nancy Pelosi yeah. on this. I disagree with that. Me too. I mean, her whole purpose, I think, in waiting to send the articles over was to put one, put as much pressure on Republicans as possible. Uh, we just stated, and I think we're right based on what we hear, that they're not going to dismiss it and they will call witnesses. And the pressure is building. This new Quinnipiac poll just came out yesterday. 66% of Americans, that's two thirds almost, want to see John Bolton testify in the Senate trial. That includes 39% of Republicans. And by the way, 51% polled in the Quinnipiac say they supported the House's impeachment of Trump, 46% uh, oppose it. So I think this time in which Nancy Pelosi has held the articles has allowed public opinion to express itself to the point where we don't get a dismissal immediately of the case and we're going to have witnesses. So I think she, in a sense, kind of won that. We, we, you know, what, what, what were others expecting to happen? That there would be a stampede, stampede of Republican senators say we're going to convict him. So I, I think, and the second point is that new evidence That's is it. coming forward. And in, in fact, just today, tonight, House Democrats unveiled new evidence, uh, that, um, that they have, um, Information from Lev Parnas's lawyer. They have handwritten notes from Lev Parnas. He's one of the two Giuliani henchmen. And these documents show uh, that Parnas sought to set up meetings between Giuliani and Zelensky, the Ukrainian president. And the records show there are a lot more details about how Giuliani was pushing for the ouster of our former ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. So more evidence is coming out. You know the Republican senators are, are hearing the American people say we want a fair trial or we want witnesses at least. And now they should be hearing about new evidence. So I think this time has been used as wisely as it can. I want to say that Trump uh, uh, has been claiming he has no idea. He doesn't know who uh, Lev Parnas and Truman are. <laughs> Uh, uh, How can I, he has the best memory? How is that possible? Yeah, right, he says I take pictures with a lot of people. But uh, uh, part of the new evidence that came out because Nancy uh, Pelosi delayed and delayed uh, were were, uh, were notes that show that the president uh, that Jay Sekulow told uh, uh, president's attorney. Trump's former attorney uh, told Giuliani that he has spoken to the president and the president gave him permission to work with Fruman and Parnas. Yeah. That came out this afternoon. Right. I mean, Nancy Pelosi delaying this is killing Trump, in my right. opinion. And I, I completely agree with both of, both of those things. I think uh, we her goal was to shed some light on McConnell's lack of transparency and, and wine is super, super, super under the rug. She did that, and there's been this added bonus of time, right? It's right. It's now past the Iran spectacle a little bit, and we get more information. I want to say something about John Bolton um, and just that what a scumbag this guy is. <laughs> um, he said he's willing to testify if the Senate subpoenas him, but he doesn't need to do that, right? He can write an op-ed tomorrow. He, he can, can go on uh, CNN tomorrow. I promise he you, could anybody, have testified in front of the House committees. Right. But I mean, if, if he's had a change of heart, you know, if conscience found this gentleman, how fast can I write right. a book and get it published? I, I promise you, there is not a new show in America that would not move whatever they have to get him on there and interview this guy. You bet. Um, and so when he's saying, well, if I get the subpoena from the Republican controlled Senate, then I'll come. We know what this is. This guy is selling a book. He's got a book coming out. He wants as much attention on himself as possible. And the other side of this is the Democrats, which are disappointing me here, is that we hear a lot of Democrats saying that John Bolton's going to come in and save the day. And I'm feeling a little bit like uh, <laughs> Custer. Lose, no, Lucy with the football. Lucy with the football, right? These are the same Democrats who knew that we were going to get Robert Mueller to come in and save the day. And in fact, the guy did as little as possible and got out of there as quickly as possible. This is John Bolton. He's been around since the first Bush administration. As far as I know, never behaved honestly, morally, or honorably in his entire career. And now I think he's going to show up and do the right thing. Forget it. And McConnell is saying that if witnesses like like Bolton come in, then the Republicans are going to get to bring in people like Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Mm -hmm. Now they are so not related to the to to the impeachment charges that it's nothing but a show. Let's, I say if Biden and Biden's son come in, I think we should also bring in Michael Cohen. You know, um, well, any Trump witness, uh, a lot of witnesses are probably in jail right now, so we'd have to move the hearings uh, to jail cells. But um, I, I, that was fleeting what I was going to say. But, um, you know, the, the point is Great that, are like that. I, I want to repeat this because I think it's really important to understand. 
I think, and I, I think anyone who looks at the body of evidence that was presented for impeachment sees enough there, not just to impeach, but to convict. That's number one. And two, the Republicans' biggest complaint was no firsthand witnesses. Bolton is a firsthand witness. Now Americans, by two-thirds, are calling the Republicans on this. If he is a firsthand witness, let's hear from him. So let's remember these facts uh, as we move ahead. But I, I just think that it's not as easy for the president now because and it's certainly not as easy for these republican senators and you know this list is so obvious of, like who's up for re-election please and who's <laughs> retiring lamar alexander i'll point out today that that republican group the lincoln group uh that includes uh kellyanne conway's george husband conway. george conway and it includes uh david jolly i think and and others uh, steve schmidt I, I posted on Facebook today an incredible ad running against Cory Gardner, calling him weak and a lapdog. I mean, they don't mince any words that he's only interested in pleasing Trump and not moving ahead for Colorado. It is a damning ad. And you know they're going to repeat that for Susan Collins and Mitch McConnell and everywhere that they can. So they can't run from this. They're going to have to vote uh, on rules for impeachment, on witnesses for impeachment. They're going to have to vote on whether to acquit this president or remove him from office. And they're going to be stuck. With that vote. As a bit of a side note, I saw an advertisement uh, commercial about a minute and a half piece of film by a guy named Ed Morrow, who's one of the potential opponents of Joni Ernst in uh, Iowa. Mm -hmm. And what a damning, powerful powerful film. I recommend anybody who can Ed look Morrow. at it. Ed Morrow. M-A-U-R-O. Yeah, she's got a primary opponent and in 2018 uh, Dems flipped two house seats in Iowa. So mm -hmm. uh, there's some lapping at her heels. And her, her numbers have I'd like to say tanked. I think she's gone down, I, I forgot the numbers, either 7 or 9% off of the numbers she used to get elected uh, Senate. And by the way, that is exactly why, jo go to back to your original question, Paul, that's exactly why Joni Ernst is urging McConnell to now work with Democrats. That's exactly why this is happening. And it, it just, to, to wrap this up, and I don't know if anyone wants to add, but think of how far and badly we've come since Watergate days when, and, and, you know, Trump and McConnell say this is all political and the Democrat. That's bullshit. This is not political. This is a crime by the president of the United States, a violation of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and campaign finance laws. And we can't get a single Republican to vote for impeachment. OK, and we have all these senators saying it's just politics. And you and we just pointed out that it's only the ones retiring or up for re-election who are moving a little bit. Back in Watergate days, people saw the evidence. They considered the evidence in Republicans. Many of them still defended Nixon. But the majority uh, along the way said, this is too much. The man is guilty. He has to leave. That is how far we've come from 1974 to today. And it's really a, a metaphor uh, for how Trump has now controlled this his party, which is just as corrupt as him, in my opinion. This trial is for the American people. He's not going to get convicted, but it's for the American people to see what happened, hear what happened, and hear the people swear under oath what they saw you know, and I'm, what they did. I'm back to saying conviction is still possible because— I won't fight you on that. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I just, I just think that it's—so much information is coming out so fast. We're learning new information— it's possible that it becomes so overwhelming and so obvious that people have to come around. You're right. And maybe one day Rand Paul and Mitt Romney will walk to the White House and say, we can't stop it. You're going down. You better well, quit. That would be wonderful. And I, I love what you said about this as a trial for the American people because presiding over this tile per the Constitution is this Chief Justice of the United States. And I'll just throw this in because I'm a stickler for this. John Roberts uh, is not the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. He is the Chief Justice of the United States. A lot of people make that uh, mistake. He's the Chief Justice of the United States. He will oversee this trial. And I guess if he has any two cents on this, I think John Roberts, who is not a political or philosophical ally with any of us, would want to go down in history as presiding over a fair trial. He has a legacy. John Roberts. What, what else does justices of the United States have when it's all done? They have a legacy. Speaking of legacy, my favorite line since we last gathered was Nancy Pelosi saying Trump is impeached for life. <laughs> <Did you> <laughs> 
<laughs> my next words, I swear to you. Peached for life. The president is peached for life regardless of any gamesmanship <laughs> on the part of Mitch McConnell. He should be required by law to introduce himself with those words from now. <laughs> I have Donald Trump impeached for life. Uh, then she followed that by saying everything Trump says is projection. When he calls someone crazy, he's talking about himself. And we all pray for him. You want to have a little prayer for Donald Trump? We just pray for him. You Kim? know that Nancy Pelosi is living rent free in Donald Trump's head right now. <laughs> I love that line. Well, if anyone, I want to add one last thing. What I just said about uh, a few minutes ago about the Mueller report, where he warned us that Trump will continue this. And the whole point of impeachment and removal from office, as is the point of any criminal justice achieved, is to stop the perpetrator from continuing to perpetrate crimes. New York Times just reported that hackers yes. from the Russian military They're intelligence, back. the same group that hacked into Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman and the DNC during 2016, they have hacked into the subsidiaries of Burisma Holdings and uh, supposedly have um, e emails and documents regarding Hunter Biden's service on the board. And as I heard Lawrence O'Donnell say yesterday, what's to stop them from putting fake emails, loading them into there, disseminating them through Trump and the Republican Party, which is a big agent of Russia now, to American voters? And Fox. Right. Of course. And uh, <laughs> I want to say. Uh, and why did we hear about this by from our press? Mm -hmm. Why did we not hear about this from the director of the CIA? Russia, if you're listening, come to the Wolf Pack first <laughs> and let us disseminate it. I want to say a moment uh, about scheduling. So this trial is going to be six days a week. This is really remarkable because currently. Uh, members of Congress work from Tuesdays through Thursdays and leave town and spend a lot of time in their districts. We obviously have several senators that are running for president. We, well, have, we have senators. Warren Sanders, Klobuchar, and Bennett. Right. And uh, that is going to be an intense schedule. One day a week off, that is really not enough time for them to what? be spending in Iowa and New Hampshire and the other early states. By the way, Republican minority leader, and I love those three words, Republican minority leader Mike McCarthy went on Fox yesterday. Do you see what he said? Kevin. He said this is uh, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, did I say Mike McCarthy, mm -hmm. who has just been hired by the Dallas Cowboys as their new coach? <laughs> um, Kevin McCarthy went on Fox and he said that this is all a plot by Nancy Pelosi to give the nomination to Biden because she's uh, this will now she's scheduled it or she's uh, she's uh, manipulated the schedule so that uh, that uh, Sanders and Warren, among among others, are going to be sitting in a Senate trial while Joe Biden gets to run away. <laughs> he actually said that. I mean, this is this is and what, Mayor Pete, yeah, right? So um, yeah, uh, I'd like to say that he's first class moron and a first class liar, and he has been ever since he's been in front of a microphone. Well, and it's, if that is the case, it's beautiful irony, right? Because Trump started this whole thing to hurt Biden, and now it's <laughs> well, that's great. That's uh, yes. that's a that's a good exclamation point to, 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 to run up uh, to. End since that we're segment. talking Biden. And then since we're talking Iowa. Yeah, I want to uh, transition into that. And that's a great way to do it. I want to say first, you're listening to the Wolfpack podcast. You're listening to me, Carl Wolfson. You're listening to Kim Upham, Dylan Hydes, and Paul Block. Our producer is Patrick Zahn, uh, uh, wolfpackpdx.com. Please rate us if you listen on Google Play or iTunes or Spotify. Uh, we are broadcasting on a Tuesday. This is Tuesday, January what? What is today? I don't even know. 14th. 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 And um, I had so much into political stuff, I couldn't tell you the date. It's January 14th. January it's 14th. Uh, we try to get this up Wednesday or Thursday. And please get this out to your friends, rate us, do as much PR for you for us as you can. Go ahead, Paul. I know it's the 14th because there were signs out in front to stop parking, to keep people from parking today because they were doing tree trimming on the 14th. Uh, well, you have your own system. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> it's also debate day. I want to see you when there's no tree trimming. You'll be in a I, well, cloud. I, I lost. I have no idea. You know, they have, a, they, they have something called a retirement watch. It doesn't go by the hours. It goes by the days. So it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Anyway, uh, by the Iowa. Way, uh, I forget whose line this was. 
uh, because I've, I've seen so many comics over my 40 years. But the line was, never ask an old person how they're feeling if you have nothing to do for the rest of the day. You could play fetch with a turtle and still not. All right. Is that McConnell? Uh, uh, the, the, the Iowa caucuses, less than three weeks away. Their last debate is happening as we speak here. With four Democrats bunched at the top of the polls, who do you think has the edge and why? Can I, can I just set the table one? here? And I'm, I'm going to uh, probably weigh in last, but I just want to say about the bunching at the top. Three days ago, the Des Moines Register poll had Bernie Sanders at 20 percent, Elizabeth Warren at 17, Buttigieg at 16, and Biden at 15. Yesterday, the Monmouth poll had Biden at 24, Sanders at 18, Mayor Pete at 17, and Warren at 15. So Biden went from last of the four three days ago to first of the four yesterday. The truth is... We don't know, but let's do some guessing. Well, I, we'll say – oh, Kim, do you want to go ahead? I was Kim. just going to say – I can sum this up. I think it's a dead heat when you consider the variability in these polls and the margins of error and the fact that Iowans decide late. I agree. And they decide weirdly on yeah. right ends. Well, and the Des Moines Register poll, that's the gold standard. I mean, historically speaking, this is the poll that gets it right. They're the ones that are actually in it, and their sample size is so much larger than the Monmouth poll. So – if you're looking for what's the true indication, I would trust this poll over all the others. And what they show is that there's five points separating the top four candidates. You combine that with the fact that 32 percent uh, of Iowans at this time are either undecided or supporting somebody outside that four who aren't going to be getting any votes because they're not going to meet the 15 percent threshold. Um, and that we're having basically 1,700 different election days in Iowa because there's 1,700 precincts. And in every single one, there's that 15% threshold. And if you don't get, if someone doesn't meet 15%, 15%, which is going to happen a lot, if the top candidate's only getting 20%, there's going to be a lot of precincts where all four of these are not hitting the 15% threshold. And then you go to the second uh, choice, and there isn't a clear, like Warren's up like one point. Um, and so this is anybody's guess as to what's going to happen. And so when people want to come out and tell me, oh, well, Biden's got this and Buttigieg has this. I mean, I, I really believe it's a 25 percent chance either way. So we could I agree. tune in on the night of February 3rd and see that Michael Bennett has won a landslide <laughs> uh, in Iowa. By the way, he was endorsed by James Carville yesterday. <laughs> so, is that uh, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. He, In fact, I watch. I like Michael Bennett a lot. In fact, me too. Uh, I. I like him very much, and um, I actually in 2013 got to meet him at a political conference in D.C. And uh, you know, I just had a, a several minutes with him, but he was he was very open and gracious, and I think he's a smart guy. And he supports the filibuster. Yeah, right. In, in fact, I remember Dylan telling me some months ago that he was listening to an interview. Tell me if I get this wrong, Dylan, with with Michael Bennett, the senator from uh, Colorado, senior senator, and that um, he was like all for him. I may have found my candidate, and then he said, "Oh." I lost. Uh, I lost interest because he supports the filibuster. But um, yes, that's right. I have a question. Yes. I've been trying to find on the internet an answer to this question and have failed. I mean, it's an easy enough thing to say yes or no. Uh, is Iowa a winner-take-all no. primary? No, they're caucus. Yes, it's a caucus state. Okay, but how? But, but is then it a winner after, take all no, of after the caucus, caucus, there's another there's another a level to this where the 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 winners in the caucus, I believe, go and actually vote for the delegates to the convention. Uh, there's a second layer of this, but so the delegates actually that, reflect the decision of the caucus. So can it be that the uh, do are the no. delegates winner take all or can there no, be twenty no, and twenty? No, it's it's and, and in fact the the delegate take all states are are much fewer. In fact, California used to be. So Iowa is not one. No, okay. uh, California used to be um, the winner takes all. By the way, all, just by it, the sound of it, caucus should be a dirty word. Okay, I knew you get that in there. Um, I said uh, caucus. Yeah. Uh huh. I read uh, an interesting piece by Andrew Prokop at Vox.com, and I, I I have mentioned Vox on this show, and I want to reiterate that I'm not saying Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for those of you out here who, who have PTSD for that awful network, it is VOX.com. It's one of my favorite websites, um, but it's Vox, not Fox. Is that uh, Fox? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that caucus? Um, caucus. So uh, let me just read four paragraphs. And I'd like to ask if you guys agree with this. I, I mostly agree with this. I, I quibble with one thing. 
react to this for me. Biden's campaign thinks he can survive a mediocre showing in the early states, meaning, meaning Iowa and New Hampshire. But Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg, and Klobuchar all think they can't. So they're bitterly battling one another. You're talking about Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg, and Klobuchar, each with the hope that they'll emerge as the main alternative to Biden. The risk is that their focus on each other may just let Biden cruise to victory. Where I agree with this is that I think uh, for, for Pete Buttigieg, he's got to finish strong in Iowa. Uh, for Klobuchar, neighboring senator in Minnesota, she has got to finish strong. I think it's important for Warren to show strength here. I don't agree with him about Sanders because I think Sanders has enough ground game, enough money, enough mobilization to go the whole way with Joe Biden. But what do you what do you think about that? And of course, I'll throw in that we've seen sniping between. I, we haven't watched the debate tonight, but there's sniping between Elizabeth Bern, uh, Warren and Bernie Sanders that has risen to the highest level of acrimony we've seen in this campaign. What do you think about that? I think that analysis is is accurate. I would agree with all that, and. I, I'm very troubled with the with the. I think the Democrat candidates. It's incumbent upon them to. You're running a campaign, but you need to be running with the assumption that the people you're running against are going to be the eventual nominees. So you can't. You can't. You got to show highlight differences, but you can't damage them so much that they can't win a general election. And so I'm very un- unhappy with Elizabeth Warren this week, who has come after Sanders um, for saying that a woman can't win the presidency, um, and. In some ways, Sanders deserves it because he has also been throwing out some low blows against the other candidates, which which upset me. Um, So I think think all the candidates should clean up their acts and and not damage each other. I want to mention that that, um, it's both of them because um, Elizabeth Warren said on a sign, this direct quote, I was disappointed to hear that Bernie is sending his volunteers out to trash me. Bernie knows me and has known me for a long time. I hope Bernie reconsiders and turns his campaign in a different direction. She's specifically talking about flyers that were given out saying she's she can't appeal to working class people because he's an intellectual, basically. That she appeals to billionaires. And and of course, you may not know, but I'll I'll indicate what Dylan was also talking about is that um, there was a report that came out uh, um, over the weekend that in this meeting between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders many, many months ago, that um, Bernie Sanders told Elizabeth Warren that he didn't think a woman could win the presidency in 2020. He vehemently denied it. But then yesterday, Elizabeth Warren put out this statement, quote, among the topics that came up was what would happen if Democrats nominated a female candidate. I thought a woman could win. He disagreed. So basically, she's calling him a liar. I'm sure that this has come up in the debate tonight, which we're not watching. Um, you know, I understand what you're saying, Dylan, and I get it because Dylan has been critical of me. And and I, I take the criticism because I have been anti-Bernie uh, on my Facebook page. And, and my decision, though, is very clear that I will support the Democratic nominee. If it's Bernie, I'll be his best friend. Uh, Dylan comes from a place, and I honor that you come from this place, and a lot of people do, that don't want to see this kind of, you know, attack or unfair character assassination because it just hurts us in the long run. I take that, and I admit that my part is in that. How I see it is I want to, you know, I'm a Biden supporter generally. I just want to make sure that that someone doesn't get the nomination or my preferred candidate gets it. And I think what you're seeing here with this whole dust up between Warren and Biden is that they are so close. Elizabeth Warren is lagging. She has to come up with something or not. What do you what do you say? Well, you're right. She has to do something. She's falling behind. But you don't do it by destroying somebody who's probably going to beat you anyways. And we saw – I mean this is what Bernie did to Clinton in right. 2016. Of and that's why so many people who like Clinton were very upset with right. him. Right. And, be, and it's me. I like Bernie, but I was upset with him. I was like, Bernie, what are you doing? I mean he came in, in 2016. He started off by saying he knew he was a long shot. I'm not going to take any below-the-belt shots at Hillary. And then he broke his word and he went after her. Uh, even when even when it got to a point where it was clear he wasn't going to win the nomination, he was still saying terrible things about her that were, I thought, untrue and definitely misleading. Um, and now I see the same thing happening to him here. I don't think it's an eye for an eye. I think Democrats need to clean up their act and not harm someone who's gonna, who has a good chance of being a nominee. Kim? I, I, w- I want to attack a system that gives Iowa that much power and makes them the number one well, state. That's, well, that's obvious. We all agree on that. We agree oh, with well, that. Okay, well, let me, let me further say Iowa is – uh, uh, 3%, 3.3% non-Hispanic African-American. 
while America is 14%. I think Io should be in charge of choosing the Democratic nominee who is most white. And then we move on from there. Yeah. Uh, and, and New <laughs> Hampshire <laughs> is not far behind that in being most white. The first time we get to a swing state in these primaries, by the way, is Nevada. And that's number four. Uh, I don't think this should be. I think we should be having our first primaries in our biggest swing states so that we can get some direction well, about where things are going. I don't like the idea of giving the swing states even more power. <laughs> well, they don't have any in the primaries. I mean, it's Iowa. Iowa, 3% yeah, black. Well, that, was, that was a swing state eight years ago. I I agree with you that we need a better I – mean, we discussed this on a previous show. I know we did. That there, you know, my particular um, – I'm a fan of having four regional primaries um, and rotating, which goes first uh, every four years. Um, and I, I think that would be fair. Uh, probably I'm the one I'm, – I'm just going to take a leap here and say I'm the one person at this table who has spent much more time in Iowa than any of the – Others here. Have you spent time in Iowa? I've spent time in Iowa as I, I, from one end to the other, as fast as eighty miles an <laughs> okay. hour to get me through. I, I went to school in Nebraska. Okay. Um, well, I, I've I've been Iowa a lot. Oh, Dylan, I didn't let no, you. I, all those join in with your. Signs. No, I, I've driven through it a couple of times. I don't think I've ever stopped. Um, so, oh, actually, think, um, uh, yes, I have been uh, Dubuque. Oh, and Field of Dreams, I played a baseball on the field oh, nice. in Dyersville. For in, me, it's all uh, cornfields and well, vermishave mm, signs. I just want to say that in, in the late 90s and early 2000s, I played in Iowa a lot. I played. Gary in, Kroger lives I, in Iowa. Uh, really? Yeah. I, I don't know who that is, but. <laughs> By played, you're not talking about baseball. Um, who's Gary Kroger? Gary Kroger was on Saturday Night Live oh, for okay. one year. Okay. A, uh, actor, friend, good man. He moved to Iowa, wanted to get away from L.A., well, and he went into politics, and he lost the race for Congress. There's a lot of different parts of Iowa. Um, I, I performed in I, – I went to see how many cities I performed in in Iowa, and I want to tell you which ones. Burlington, Cedar Falls, Clear Lake, Council Bluffs, Fort Dodge, Iowa City, which is the jewel of Iowa. That is the best University of Iowa is there. Mason City, Ottumwa, which is known as the birthplace of Tom Arnold, that fabulous actor. Well, Sioux <laughs> City, uh, Spirit Lake, Waterloo, and West Des Moines. Not Ames? Um, haven't played Ames. Uh, but there is uh, you know, possibility in the future. I, I can tell you that um, there are places in Iowa, like I'll say Ottumwa, for instance. I don't want to offend anyone in Ottumwa, but you know, well, Ottumwa is, Ottumwa. even when I played there, it was decimated by kids on meth uh, there are not a lot of jobs in Ottumwa. It is very depressed. The northwest part of the state, which is represented by Steve King, is very rural. Um, Pete Buttigieg yesterday was endorsed by Iowa Congressman Dave Losback, who is from the southeast portion, which is, um, a, a, I think, a better educated portion of the state with brighter voters. And I don't, again, I don't want to offend anyone. Um, that may help Mayor Pete that he got the uh, endorsement of an Iowa congressman there. But it is more diverse. I, I know it's not diverse as far as people of color, but it is more diverse urban versus rural than a, than a lot of people uh, would think. And I think the truth is they take their role, and I, I agree that they shouldn't be the first and oh, so overwhelming, but they take their role very seriously I'm sure. in politics. So, so, um, so does that town up in northern Maine, Dixville Notch, it's yeah. in New Hampshire. <laughs> right. They uh, vote at midnight, right? When yep. you when you played at Clear Lake, did you play at the Surf Ballroom? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, I played, um, and of course, Dylan knows this, and everyone is near Clear Lake is where Buddy Holly's plane went down. And that was where he he and the big right. Richie Valens performed right, right before. They oh, and, people, and, that's their big call. You know, when your call uh, to fame is that people died near your city, uh, you really need a, more, a bigger PR campaign. But you'll see Buddy Holly stuff and Big Bopper stuff all over Clear Lake. I, I, I'm not sure where I played, but it was in that venue. Iowa provides 1% of the delegates to the Democratic Convention. Say that again? Iowa provides 1% of okay. the delegates to the Democratic Convention. When I would open my, my, my shows in Clear Lake, I would say, well, I, I drove and I didn't fly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, though, granted that, Paul, that, yes, Iowa and New Hampshire have outsized importance. Okay. I just get the feeling that this is going to be – I get the feeling it's going to be a two-person race between Biden and Sanders, and it's going to go to the convention. I looked at 538 today, and they're – You're saying brokered convention? No. 
It will go to the convention. Okay. But 538 has – you need 1990 to be nominated. Right now, things being equal, and of course, this is 538's analysis, Biden would have 15, 17 delegates, Sanders 1,034, Warren 706, and Mayor Pete 496. And so Biden is within striking distance there. If you add Mayor Pete, you yeah. know, take, take, let's say that Biden, Mayor Pete, Bloomberg, Klobuchar, Bennett, and maybe Tulsi Gabbard are the more center or center left candidates. Sanders, Warren, throw in Andrew Yang and Tom Steyer as the left candidates. You know what it comes out to? I looked at both polls and delegates. It's almost the same mm-hmm. as Hillary delegates. Versus Bernie delegates three four years ago in 2016. If you just group the most liberal candidates and the center left candidates, to both in the polls where they stand now in the projected delegate counts, it looks to me to be the same division mm-hmm. in the Democratic Party that we had four years ago. Carl, can I say something about the you said that it's going to become a two person race between Sanders and Biden? That's certainly possible. What terrifies me about that though is that the Bernie people I know are rabid. Mm-hmm. And I just see they're going to attack Biden. And so I kind I, I love Sanders, but I kind of hope he loses quickly so that his supporters will get angry quick, cool off, and then come back to the table. If you if Bernie get, gets deep in this contest and you know Bernie people in your life, please ask them to stand down. Like, we want your energy, we want your passion, but do not destroy Biden because he may be the nominee. You know, on my Facebook this week, my personal Facebook, um, uh, someone wrote that young people – will not vote for Joe Biden. My response was this simple. If you're a young progressive and you know that either Biden or Trump will win and that not voting for Biden increases the chance that we'll have four more years of Trump, a 7-2 conservative court, and all of your social and political dreams will be quashed for your lifetime and don't vote for Joe Biden – I can't fix stupid. And probably like about 10,000 more extinctions and a couple of feet more of seawater rising. So Please you, move to Mars. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I get it. And, you know, the reason I think – this is just my own personal feeling that Biden will win. I think his support among African Americans, which are projected to be 25 percent of the votes in, in all the caucuses and primaries this year, according to Washington Post-Ipsos poll out today – Biden is at 48% among black Americans. The closest is Bernie Sanders at 20. That's 28 points above. I looked at it. There are very few polls from these states that are further out in the process. A public policy polling poll came out uh, today, the 14th. We know that from, from tree removal. <laughs> from <the> tree. <laughs> uh, but in North Carolina, Biden at 31%. The closest is Sanders at 18. So he's got a 13-point and, and Biden is even leading in California, not by much. But if Biden does well in these states in the, in the South or states that have a large African-American voting population, um, but I, I like your reaction uh, to what I said, Dylan, because it looks now, and of course anything can happen, Michael Bennett can get the nomination, sure that's going to happen, but yeah, right. uh, Kelsey, it looks Kelsey now Gabbard that we're going to have the same divide at the convention that we had, if you just group center, center-left candidates and progressive candidates, same divide as we had in 26. We don't want the same outcome in November, mm-hmm. though. Well, please tell me it's not tree removal. It's just tree trimming. No, tree they, trimming. They tree have trimming. to leave us something to hug. Tree trimming. <laughs> please, for God's tree. sake. But one thing, and I don't want to jump in on that, but one thing I don't quite understand, uh, or maybe I do, and I, uh, why Biden has the... The enormous uh, uh, plurality of African-American support. And he was way ahead of all of the African-American I candidates. I can answer that. Go. Uh, one, he was the vice presidential. He was vice president under Barack Obama for eight years. And all during that time, Barack Obama lauded, uh, lauded um, uh, Joe Biden. In fact, go back and see uh, before, right before, um, it was after the Trump election, President Obama awarded the Medal of Freedom to Joe Biden. Go back. That 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 um, ceremony just for Joe Biden is on YouTube. So the closeness it should become a commercial. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I put it up. But the um, the oh, what are you what are you showing me, Kim? The the um, sorry. That's one thing. The other thing is, and I saw a commentator. You remember Joe Biden has represented 
represented Delaware in the Senate since I mean, he was elected in 1972 until he became vice president. Uh, Wilmington has a large African-American population. Um, he has been on those issues. Uh, and, of course, he, he made some detours. And we can look at his record and see where he was not as friendly to African-American voters. But African-American voters have come out for him uh, in, in Delaware for years and years and years. And someone said something. In fact, I think it was um, – uh, I'm, I'm going to skip because I'm not sure, but said that Joe Biden is comfortable around African-Americans. He's always been comfortable around African-Americans. That's how he was brought up. That's who he is. And, and African-American voters can sense that. They don't get that from Mayor Pete. They don't get that from Elizabeth Warren. I and was they don't get it from Booker. Bernie Sanders. I was thinking, why, did, why didn't they flock to Booker? Well, well they know. are most con- most concerned with electability. Right. That's what I've, I've, I've... As much as you can generalize about they, any block of voters. The black... Voter, the black American black voter is really a pragmatic person. They did not support uh, Barack Obama until he won Iowa, and then they shifted their uh-huh. support to Barack uh, Obama. As Dylan has told me personally before, I think in an email to all of us, I don't think four white people should be sitting here talking about how African Americans think or vote. I can only tell fair. you what I, I can, think. I can only guess. I mean, you know, maybe I'll go in the street after the trees are cut and see if I can find an African American and ask him. Or her. Or her. Don't be sexist. Or racist. <laughs> I'm not racist. I, I want the answer. Why does Deval Patrick not have... Uh, and and don't, don't find one black person to speak for their entire race. They, that's, that's right. Not a, not a good Gary's younger brother, Zach, who just got his PhD um, two years ago from University of Oregon, is, is extremely liberal, kind of a socialist. And he, uh, he is always reminding us, he'll go, Racist! <laughs> sexist <laughs> you know and it's become a joke that he'll point it out but we have to check ourselves on that um, I would like to if, if anyone has anything else to say otherwise we want to move on to Paul did you want to add anything no I just wanted to note make a comment that okay. I thought was uh, very encouraging is that Bloomberg who I don't think is going to oh. win any nomination but Bloomberg made an announcement that he's I'm got his that. he's got his bucks and his people mm-hmm. and he's putting them in the race until November Not only that, and I meant to say this a little while ago, but I have, of course, so much to say that I don't have enough time to say it. Uh, Dylan mentioned last week that uh, he has uh, increasing respect for Michael Bloomberg because Michael Bloomberg at least is putting his money where his mouth is to defeat Trump. Not only did he say if he's not the nominee, and of course he's not going to be, I will spend through Election Day with anti-Trump, with an anti-Trump message and a positive message about getting the country back on track. But he said, I will 100% support Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren even though I consider them communists. And he said that in just, that was his quote. So he said he will support Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. That takes guts and leadership from someone like Michael Bloomberg and shows you the depth of his desire, which should be the depth of all, all of our depths of desire to see Trump removed from office. He That's has well 50, said, Carl. He has absolutely he has $50 billion and he's willing to spend it. To get Trump gone. And he's going to have 500 staff people that will stay on even if he's not in the race to support the nominee. You know, I, I spoke with one of my very best friends from college, Pat Norton, and maybe she'll send the podcast. I, I haven't talked to her in a while. And I told her, Pat, if you're listening, uh, Pat and her husband, Michael, live in New York City. They have liked my Pat used to be when in college, kind of a moderate Republican. She, of course, is a she and she's a Democrat now and longtime supporter, social Democrat in, in all the ways. And she um, she's at the point where she's going to actually go to Pennsylvania from New York City and work. To, and she admires Michael Bloomberg a lot. She knows he's not going to get the nomination. But uh, she reinforced to me, as you did, Dylan, last week, that this guy is really putting his money where his mouth is. And they like what he did as mayor of New York City. Way, Super Bowl ad. I have already said on this podcast that in college I was a conservative Republican. Hmm. Okay. So I'm glad that you become more liberal. I hope you get uh, a lot more black friends. We welcome uh, everyone to the resistance. <laughs> we, um, I love a long time ago. I, I, I love what uh, I have for a, a something you may not know. It, it goes to Queen Elizabeth, and that's why I threw her in the in the open. I, this is one of my favorite things that you may not know, but I want to hear from you guys first. What what can you offer? What nuggets? All right. Uh, I guess I hear that my brother turned me on to. Um, what year would you guess the last Civil War veteran passed away? 2005. Okay. Well, the war ended in 1865. So. <laughs> oh, I thought I was thinking spouses. Remember uh, there was that spouse 2017. That 
Okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. Two thousand. I would bet it's like nineteen thirty <laughs> or nineteen twenty nine or something. Nineteen fifty six. People. So okay. really, so almost a hundred years after the. Right. Uh, so this is Henry Albert Wolzen died at the age of one hundred and six. Yes. Um, his father was actually killed at the Battle of Shiloh in 1862, and Albert joined the Union Army in 1864 at the age of 14 as a drummer boy in Company C of the 1st Minnesota wow. Heavy Artillery Regiment. Uh, never saw action, though, but yeah. lived uh, for 106, so that to 1856. That's an impressive length of time. But the next 56. question— 56. 56. I think what you guys are getting at was a question that I had next, which is what year did the last Civil War widow— Pass yes, away. that's what I was thinking. By the way, was this guy who died in 56, Trump would say that he was uh, a member of the Air Force. And he, anyway, <laughs> Trump, would the say, Trump would say he died. He's a loser. I don't care about oh, losers. So, so the last uh, participating military member died in 56, so the, we would assume the widow would live longer than 56. Um, Presumably, yeah. Right. Presumably. I don't sexist. Uh, okay. Right. Um, any, any guesses? The last 65? Widow. The widow. 2005. Going with my original. <laughs> what is this, your year? Uh, 2008 is the answer. See, I oh, remember, wow. I remember the story. The old guy married a teenager. So, yeah. so now I'm mad that I didn't go out and meet this woman. Her name was Maudie Hopkins. Maudie. And she had, <laughs> now, let me lay out a timeline for you. Maudie the hottie. Her, <laughs> her husband was William Cantrell, who was born in 1848, and he joined the Confederate Army at the age of 16 in 1864. And in 1934, when he was 86, Mr. Cantrell married 19-year-old Maudie Hopkins. So I love what's, it. what's that, a 67-year age difference? And he died very soon so, thereafter. Uh, well, he died three years she later. She put him in the grave. <laughs> <laughs> he died three years later. Sexist. And she lived for 71 more years after her husband died. Well. And apparently it was common in those days for uh, young women to marry old veterans so they can get their war pensions, ah, which at she, that time were 25 to $50 per month. Really? Did she continue right. to get... Uh, money until she died. Yes, that's how, that's how it works. From the Civil War. Yeah. You know, my mother's. Well, actually, I don't know. It's a. It was a Confederate soldier. So I mean, <laughs> it was paid in large was, Confederate wait, that's bills. That's a great question, Carl. Was the U.S. government paying Confederate uh, oh, I would doubt pensions? That. Oh, I would not. I would probably say no. She would probably have to take old Richmond notes to the Bank of America <laughs> and try to cash them. <laughs> she saved them. They'd be uh, worth money today. You know, in some parts of the South, she could live like a kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got. Speaking That's of pensions of twenty five bucks a month, I really had nothing to say uh, today except that I had uh, I had pizza for lunch, and I had. A, <laughs> I, 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 I He's had getting a, ready for that tree trip. Breaking news! <laughs> yeah, I had a slice of pizza and a Pepsi Cola, and it was five dollars and seventy cents. When I grew up in Queens, That's- the dandy pizzeria around the corner, a slice of pizza and a Coca Cola was twenty five cents. Mm. Wow, I just had to say that when but you're you talking know, about twenty five dollars. But Paul, pensions. that it was low because the Civil War had just ended, and people were happy to be eating again. Uh, was that, I, don't, I don't want to hear OK Boomer from any tort out there. <laughs> you know my my retort to OK Boomer. OK, Renter. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm right. going to use that. Uh, do you have a something you may not know? or is no, it the pizza? pizza was it. it. My pizza was it. All right. So I was going to tell another Tonight Show story. I decided to leave it for another day. I actually forgot to prepare this item today for some reason, but my uh, friend Summit just sent me a link. He's in India now visiting uh, along with his mom. And there are monkeys that have taken over a town in India. 400 monkeys have displaced the residents of this town. So they know what it's like to live under Trump? This is an article from the Daily Star. Out of control population of over 400 monkeys have taken over homes as desperate locals fight a losing battle against primates in a Planet of the Apes-style saga. I love it. Are they, are they howler monkeys? And this actually started 15 years ago because these monkeys were kicked out of a neighboring town, Hyderabad. The, the people of India have not yet discovered rifles. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's not push. Don't bad get the animal rights the, people upset in, with us. In, in, oh. yeah. uh, so they're macaques, actually, and oh, uh, macaques. Well, those are the good ones. And they've been uh, invading people's homes and eating all their food. Do they have a city council yet? The macaque council? <laughs> <laughs> do they try them in Wait, a kangaroo? Do court? they caucus? <laughs> <laughs> They just flame so, poop during the meetings. Yeah, that's the same thing. Uh, like get out of control. It's just like the Portland City Council. That's nice. I like that. Oh, that, that. That should be on 60 Minutes. They may have a better way to serve that city than humans. Um, I mean, I don't know if I'm an Anglophile, but from my TV watching, I guess I am. Um, Gary and I watch every British show and mystery that we can see, including, of course, The Crown. Um, 
I love this, and, and this has been reported by at least three publications in Britain, including The Independent. Queen Elizabeth's handbag. She uses it to communicate with her staff. When she is finished speaking to a guest, she will move it from one arm to the other, and her aides will politely end the conversation. She moves it from her right arm to her left arm. If she wants to abruptly end the conversation, she will put her bag on the ground. If the queen places her handbag on the table at dinner, it signals that she wants the event to end in the next five minutes. Wow. I don't, I don't say And it, what does it mean if she whacks someone over the head with a handbag? I was waiting for, if she's having sex with Prince Philip and takes her handbag to bed. Uh, I don't know. They didn't report that. But I love that. The power of being queen. Power of the purse. And, the power of the purse. Uh, it's the best line. <laughs> Very be, nice. Could be an episode title. Uh, yeah. Her Majesty owns around 200 purses uh, from the designer Lawner London. But to have the power to just I'm done with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, I love the fact that she one signal is politely end the conversation <laughs> and the other and the other is get Trump out of here. Um, can I do one last thing? Yes. Since I have nothing, you have two. Thank you. That's a slogan for you. <laughs> <laughs> Not talking caucuses. Oh, that was a Hitler line. I only got one, but the rest of you men have two. All right. Um, the, some of you get that. Belzer gets it too. Yeah. Belzer has one ball. Um this is more serious, but this comes from the UK as well. You know, we talk about wealth disparity on this sh- show, and you know, we talk about, for instance, African Americans or Native Americans. And Native Americans are the dual evils of the founding of this country. The Native Americans were the genocide and slavery of uh, African Americans. But we wonder why, and this is only you know two three hundred years. Um, we we wonder why. There is a socioeconomic difference between black people in this country and white people in this country. Um, a guy, a professor of economics at the University of California, Gregory Clark, a couple of years ago, did a study of the UK. You might remember the year 1066 as William the Conqueror came and, and conquered. It was the Norman conquering of England. I believe he was crowned at Westminster Abbey on Christmas Day in 1066. At that point, he placed the French nobility atop the social hierarchy in the U- in the UK. More than 950 years later, this research, which draws on Doomsday Book, it draws on uh, records from aristocratic and working classes. 950 years later, people with Norman last names are still. 10% wealthier than their Anglo-Saxon counterparts. People with those Norman nobility names, Baskerville, Bruce, Darcy, Glanville, Lacey, Mandeville. Bach. Still 10% more wealthy. A thousand years mm-hmm. we're talking about. And yet we have idiots uh, like uh, who's the drummer who's crazy, the big Trumper who's the anti-Obama drummer? Kid Rock? No. The, the, you know what I'm talking about. The drummer who hated Obama, called him a subhuman. Um, Is he in a band? Can you give me something? He's a famous him? drummer. And he said that if Obama was reelected, he would kill himself. Yeah. You, those at home know what I'm talking about. Does Rush um, Limbaugh play the drums? A, a drummer. He's the most one of the most accomplished drummer, but he's a big right winger. He hated Obama. He's so racist against Obama. He made uh, the comment uh, that after the civil rights laws were passed in the 60s, black people had no excuse for anything, that they had full equal rights as white Americans. This is someone who's so ignorant, who doesn't understand uh, generations of poverty or the effect of slavery all these years. Well, most later. Republicans think reverse racism is a bigger problem than racism. Right, so. uh, of course. So um, We'll just start next week's show with the name <laughs> of that drummer. Well, come on. You guys know. Who we'll do it next week. Ted Nugent. Ted Nugent. That's he's not a drummer. He's, he's, he's a, a guitar, guitar player. player. Oh, okay. Well, uh, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I so know. I know so little about Ted Nugent that I thought he was a drummer. He's a racist drummer. He's a racist musician. Would you have known if I'd said that? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, I would. If you said guitar player, I knew. I hate to end this show on Ted Nugent. Uh, <laughs> think better thoughts. I'm Carl Wolfson, along with Kim Up and Paul Block and Dylan Hydes. Uh, Patrick Zahn produces our show. Thank you for listening to the Wolfpack. We'll talk to you next and week. And thank you, Brian Sussman, for the music. And thank you, Lane Gallery and Steel Door Gallery for the home. I thought he was a drummer. <laughs>